I invite you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of Acts chapter number 11. The book of Acts chapter number 11. And I want us to read uh, just a few verses again from Acts chapter number 11. From verse 19 down to verse number 26 again, just to get them before your heart and before your mind. Acts chapter number 11 and verse number 19. Hear the word of the Lord. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phenus and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene. And when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all, that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man, and full of the Holy Ghost, and of faith. And much people were added unto the Lord. Let's unite our hearts together in a word of prayer. Our Father, we do once again come before Thy throne, needful and mindful of Thy help. God, we recognize that we cannot do anything in our own strength and our own ability. Uh, God, I pray that, God, my preaching and my teaching would not be with the enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that this church's faith would not stand in the wisdom of a man, but in the power of God. God, we pray for that anointing, that unction from on high that makes all the difference, and that, God, that you would hide me behind the cross of Calvary, and that we might see our Lord Jesus Christ magnified, exalted, and lifted to his proper place today. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to focus in this morning primarily on verse number 23 and verse number 24. And we want to consider the characteristics of a man of God. And this man of God that we see before us is named in verse number 22 as Barnabas. Barnabas is the man that will be sent on his way to Antioch with a particular focus in mind, and that is to exhort and to build up the people of God. So today I want you to look into the life of a man who hazard or put his life on the line for the Lord Jesus. We will consider a man who left his homeland and sold his estate for the cause of the Redeemer. We will consider and behold a man who preached with power and saw many swept into the kingdom of God. We will behold a man set apart by the Holy Spirit to be an early missionary in the church. We will behold a man who encountered sorcerers and confounded them by the greater power of Christ. We will behold a man who is very influential in Acts chapter number 15 in that great general assembly of the church. We will behold a man of God. What does a man of God look like? Well, I think we can see it in the life of Barnabas. And ultimately that is a reflection of the very Christ that lived and worked and lived through him. I want you to now behold in our text in verse number 23 and 24 the characteristics of a man of God. First of all we will see about Barnabas that he was a man of exhortation. He was a man of exhortation. Secondly you will notice that he was a good man. Verse number 24. Thirdly you will notice that he was a man full of the Holy Ghost. And last of all, you will notice that he was a man full of faith. And I think that these are all things that you and I need in our own individual lives. These are not things that are just for an apostle. They're not just for a prophet. They're not just for a pastor or teacher. These are truths that get down in shoe leather where you and I live. You and I all need to be people of exhortation. We need to be people that are good. People that are full of the Holy Ghost and people that are full of faith. Notice with me in verse number 23 that he was a man of exhortation first of all. Here you have the scene. 
Paul has recently, known as Saul, persecuted the church of God in Stephen's day. And they are scattered abroad from Jerusalem. And they go as far as Phoenix, Cyprus, and Antioch. And they are speaking the word none only to the Jews. We also read that there were some men in that city in verse 20 in Jerusalem that were Cyprus and Cyrene that also went into Antioch and spoke to the Grecians. And the Grecians here, the understanding of this word Grecian is a Hellenistic Jew. It was those that were part of the diaspora that had adopted a Greek culture, uh, but they were still uh, ethnically Jews. And so the gospel was being preached to those that adopted this Roman culture as Jews, as well as to individual Jews. And the word of God was being preached unto them. And what is amazing is in verse 19, through 21, there is no apostle present. We don't read anything about any apostles. We don't read anything about any prophets. These are laymen, as it were, laymen called of God going into a community, preaching Christ, and turning the whole city of Antioch, as it were, upside down. You see, you don't have to be an apostle. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be an evangelist or a missionary to be used of the Lord. These were just common people with a common burden that loved the Lord Jesus who entered into the city of Antioch as a layman and preached Christ. You'll notice that in verse number 20, they were preaching the Lord Jesus. And the word there means to declare the glad tidings. They weren't whispering the tidings. They weren't gossiping the tidings. This was a loud declaration. They were no doubt entering into the very synagogues of the Jews and proclaiming the unsearchable riches of Christ and how they were transformed by the power of the gospel, even in Jerusalem. And we read that what happened, that the hand of the Lord was with them. If there's one thing you and I desperately need today, it is that, the hand of the Lord with us. And a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Now we read in verse 22 that tidings of these things had come into the ears of Jerusalem. The apostles heard about what was happening. And so they now decide to send forth a man called Barnabas to go into Antioch. It's interesting here because here is a man, Barnabas, and as we will see, he was from the land of Cyprus, which was a small island in the Mediterranean. I say small, it's actually a rather large island in the Mediterranean. And that was his homeland. And he is now being sent to Antioch. I don't know the reason he was chosen. He was obviously chosen of the Holy Ghost by the apostles to be sent forth. And he is going there, and he will be among some of his fellow countrymen. We read that there were men of Cyprus there in Antioch that were preaching the word. Now Barnabas is sent, and we read that as he is sent, he now comes to the city. The apostles want to make sure that what was happening was of God. And we read that as soon as Barnabas enters the city in verse 23, that when he entered into the city, he saw the grace of God. What does that mean? He saw the outworking of God's grace in the lives of these people. He saw the salvation of souls. He saw multitudes converted to Christ in this Gentile city. He saw the Jews and the Hellenistic Jews converted, worshiping together. And we read that he was glad. You know, I fear that so many times we hear about people getting saved and we don't have the same reaction as Barnabas. He was glad when he heard of the salvation of a soul. And here he is in Antioch. He has witnessed the wonderful grace of God and the conversion of sinners, and he is glad. And notice what he does in verse 23. He exhorts them all. He exhorts them all. Here we find, as I said, many in Antioch who have turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when the news reached the apostles in Jerusalem, they send Barnabas to them. And it is fitting that they would send someone like him to them because he was a man of exhortation, a man of encouragement. Now, I want us to now go back as we consider this man of exhortation. This man called Barnabas, who is he? Where does he come from? What does his name even mean? As you will see, Barnabas was not his original name. It was a name that was conferred upon him by the apostles. He actually had a different name. 
I want you to turn back with me to the book of Acts chapter number 4. So he's a man of exhortation. I want you to now notice with me under this man of exhortation, I want you to notice the origin of his name, where his name comes from. In Acts chapter number 4. In Acts chapter number 4 you have a persecution that is brought against the church. And after this persecution is brought against the church, they gather together in a prayer meeting. And as they pray, the place is shaken where they are assembled together. And they are all filled with the Holy Ghost. They go out and speak the word with boldness. And we read that there were many believers that had great need. And we are introduced to a man in the midst of that by the name of Joseph. Notice with me verse 36 of Acts 4. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and bought, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. So here is the first mention in the New Testament of this man of God called Barnabas. His real name is actually Joseph. So he was not originally called Barnabas. His original name we read here is Joseph. It means exalted. And you actually, if you were to look at Luke 3.29, we find that Joseph was actually an ancestor of Christ. So he had much to live up to in that name. But it's also interesting, there are many other manuscripts that say that his name was not Joseph, but his name was Joseph. It's only the matter of a small Greek letter that distinguishes Joseph from Joseph. Wycliffe actually in his translation of the Bible in 1382 said that the reading here was Joseph, in which he got that reading from the 382 edition of Jerome's Vulgate. So regardless of what this man's name was, Joseph or Joseph, he had much to live up to. His original name had much meaning behind it. But the disciples saw fit to change his name. They surnamed him something else. Notice this man, Joseph or Joseph, was then surnamed Barnabas. They conferred upon him another name. And they likely conferred this name upon him. The name Barnabas literally means the son of Nafis, which means a son of prophecy. And so they likely gave him this name because of his great preaching ability. That Barnabas was a great orator. He was a great preacher of God's Word. And so they conferred this name upon him, Barnabas, the son of consolation. We also read that this was not an uncommon practice. Actually, Jesus did this many times, did He not? We read that Jesus conferred on other people different surnames. Did He not do this with Simon in Mark 3.16? Simon, He surnamed Peter. We see that He did this with James, the son of Zebedee. In John, the brother of James, He surnamed him Bornanges, which means the sons of thunder. So there were surnames that were given unto people. And you guess what? The Lord has also conferred upon you another name. Thank God He does this to believers today. We are new creatures with new names. In the book of the Revelation, you read that you have been given a white stone, and in that white stone a new name written therein that no man knoweth. You and I have been given new names. We are new creatures with new names, and we've been conferred with a new name as a believer in Jesus Christ. So Barnabas we see was conferred with a new name, and this name likely was related to his preaching ability. Now what is the meaning of his name? Well, we kind of dealt with that. Uh, his name literally means the son of Nebas, which means the son of a prophet. Which being interpreted, he says, here means the son of consolation. He was a son of exhortation, a son of encouragement. We are here given by the Holy Spirit the meaning of his name. It is very likely that he was given this name because he was a man gifted in teaching, admonishing, and consoling. And in our text of Acts chapter number 11, the apostles, knowing the giftedness of Barnabas as a preacher of God's Word, and an encourager of the people of God, seeing this new church that was formed, send this man of encouragement and exhortation unto them. He was the choice. He was the man for the hour. 
Barnabas saw the many converted as a definite sign of the grace of God. And this caused him to rejoice. We read there back in Acts 11.23 that he, that he exhorted them all. And this word exhort is the same root word that is found in the interpretation of his name, the son of consolation. Here we find Barnabas operating in his giftedness. And what was Barnabas exhorting them to do? If you turn back with me to Acts 11, in verse number 23, here Barnabas is at this new church of new believers, and he is exhorting and encouraging and admonishing, admonishing them to do something in particular. And what is that? That with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. Acts eleven twenty-three. Why did he have to encourage them to cleave unto the Lord? Because of the threat of persecution that they were now going to face. They were Jews that had converted to Christ and still Judaism was persecuting the early church in that day. There was a threat of persecution. There also was a threat to return back to Judaism. Is that not what the book of Hebrews is all about? The threat of returning back to Judaism. And you and I need to hear the very same thing. You and I need on a weekly basis to come together. The Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as a manner of some is, but so much the more as you see the day approaching. We are to gather together all the more to exhort one another. We need to come together and we need to also proclaim this very same message that with purpose of heart we would cleave to the Lord with that ever increasing persecution. We need to ever be exhorted to cling unto the Lord. And there is always a temptation for you and I when hardships and trials and temptations and things arise in our life and difficulties come. There is always this increasing temptation to depart away from the Lord. But remember what Peter said when Jesus said to him, will ye also go away? And what did Peter said? Where can we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And no doubt, whenever you are tempted to go away from the Lord, the same answer returns to your mind. Where could I go? You, Lord, alone have the words of eternal life. There is real temptation out there. Even for some of you, you may have been converted from different religious backgrounds. And there is a temptation at times to return back to your former religion, just as the, con the converted Jews felt in their own day. And no doubt that is a very strong temptation for some people to go back to where they were comfortable, where all my friends are. I have a, an aunt in northern Maine uh, who is from a very strong uh, Roman Catholic family. Her family is actually from Lebanon. And uh, very strong Roman Catholic family from Lebanon as well as married into a French family that was Roman Catholic. And when she gave her life to the Lord Jesus Christ, her family completely abandoned her. They rejected her, turned her away, wanted nothing to do with her. And she knew that believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and admitting to be a born-again Christian, it would have been a great difficulty, and it was. And she told me many times that there were times that she was tempted to return back to the Roman Catholic Church because she had lost her family. And there no doubt is times when we are tempted to do the very same. So here is a man of exhortation. He is preaching to them that they would cleave unto the Lord. And more than ever, we need exhorters today. We need men and, and women that will encourage one another. I don't know about you, but it encourages me when someone comes before me and preaches a message or talks to me and encourages me to lay hold of Christ and to not let go and to stay true to Christ. I need to hear that on a weekly basis, to stay true to Christ and to keep following Him, to keep pressing towards the mark. I need to be urged in my spirit to lay hold of Christ every single week, every single day, every single moment of my life. And the church needs people today that will constantly point them to Christ to tell them you have nowhere else to go but to Him. He was an exhorter, but he also was a good man. You ever heard someone say, well, you know, that's a good man. That's a good woman. What is meant by that? 
Here in our text in Acts 11, in verse number 24, we're kind of give, given an outline of the life of Barnabas, uh, 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 some adjectives about who he is. Here we are told that he is a good man, verse 24. Immediately when I read that, how can it be said that he was a good man when Jesus said, Why callest thou me good? There is none good save one, that is God. David also said, There is none that doeth good. Paul quotes David and says that uh, as well, There is none that doeth good, and then adds, Not even one. How can the Holy Spirit ascribe this attribute, as it were, to Barnabas? This word, good, appears 102 times in your New Testament. And it means different things based upon context. And here in the context, the word simply means he is an upright or honorable man. Here was a man that was an exhorter of the people of God that was upright and honorable in character. This is clearly seen in his first mention in the biblical text that we looked at in Acts chapter number 4. He is a man that is a man of means, it would appear from the text. He is from the land of Cyprus. We're not told if he owned land in Cyprus or land in Jerusalem, but we are told only of him that he was a man that took his land and he sold it to distribute it amongst the people of God. So in order to help sustain and meet the needs of the early church, he sold his possessions and gave the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And this money was then distributed to help those in need in the early church. This was an honorable act. This was, a, this was an upright act of this man to perform. We see further examples of this upright character in this man. We see it in Acts chapter number 9, just after the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. He returns to Jerusalem. He wants to join himself with the apostles. And you remember what happened? That they did not believe that he was a disciple. And so what do they do? They did not believe that he was a disciple, so they turn him away. But Barnabas takes him alongside of himself. He brings him before the apostles and says he had seen the Lord in the way. And he brings him before the Lord. And he is then, re excuse me, brings him before the apostles. And he is thus received among the disciples. Acts chapter no, number 11, verse 30, Barnabas and Saul carry funds from Antioch to the believers in Judea. In order to do this, you had to be an upright and honorable man. You're not just going to entrust hundreds of dollars to some man that you don't even know where he's from. He was an upright and honorable man. Acts 13, 1 through 4, we read that Barnabas certainly was an upright and honorable character, and this was because he was chosen of the Holy Ghost for the work of missions. This is seen further in Acts 15. Barnabas was certainly an honorable and upright man because he was beloved of the church. We read that in Acts 15, 25. And also he was recognized as one who hazarded or gave his life for the Lord Jesus Christ. So Barnabas was a good man. And he could be called a good man because it is clearly demonstrated in his life. I wonder about you today. Could this very same thing be pronounced over your life? He's a good man. He's a good woman. They are upright and honorable. Could this be pronounced over your life? Does your life demonstrate an upright and honorable character? You say, well, I can't do that in and of myself. You are 100% right. This is the work of regeneration. The work of regeneration will produce this in the believer. We actually read that goodness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians 5.22, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is goodness, uprightness, an honorable character. That those that are generally converted to Jesus Christ will be the most outstanding men and women in society. And I firmly believe that. That anyone that is converted to Jesus Christ, when they are on the job, and wherever they are, people ought to look at them and say, there is something about that person that is different. They have an upright and honorable character. There is something different about that individual. And this is something that Barnabas had. He was a good man. He was upright. He was honorable. And this was not just in the moral sense. 
This was a reality that was wrought in his life by the regenerating work of the Spirit of God operating in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So I ask you, does your life demonstrate this goodness? Or does your life demonstrate a corrupt and dishonorable character? And if your life demonstrates a corrupt and dishonorable character, you need to ask yourself, is there really this fruit of the Holy Spirit in me? Have I truly been regenerated of the Spirit of the living God? Because those that are saved by God's sovereign grace will be operating and living and growing in the fruits of the Holy Spirit. This leads us naturally to our third point. Not only was he a man of exhortation and a good man, but we read in verse 24 that he was a man full of the Holy Ghost. A man full of the Holy Ghost. It is one thing to be upright and honorable, but it is taken to another level. It is taken to another notch. When one is full of the Holy Ghost... Now I want to explain this to you because there's much confusion in the church today as it regards the Holy Spirit, is there not? Barnabas, as a born-again man, had the indwelling Holy Spirit in him. Romans 8 and verse number 9 clearly teaches that if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Every person born of God has the indwelling Holy Spirit. But in the book of Acts, we find the same disciples filled with the Holy Spirit in multiple occasions, do we not? In Acts chapter number 2, you find that on the day of Pentecost, they are filled with the Spirit. Then you read in Acts chapter number 4 that we had read that they were persecuted. They go and they pray, and they are again filled with the Spirit, and they go out and speak the Word with much boldness. You read again and again and again in the book of Acts that they were filled with the Spirit. They were filled with the Spirit. Does this mean that they somehow lost the Spirit and needed to be refilled or saved again? Well, no, because that is scripturally and theologically impossible. This filling of the Spirit was a baptism of power that enabled one to serve Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said in Ephesians 5.18, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And the word to be filled there in the original carries the idea of keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, your salvation, the moment you gave your life to Christ, oh yes, the Holy Spirit came in and took up residence in your life. He is there. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is there permanently forever. He is in you. But the Scripture uses some very interesting language as it refers to the work of the Holy Spirit. And I think that these little words are significant. The Bible speaks about the Holy Spirit being with us. And I think that regards the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit working with us to bring about salvation. The Bible speaks about the Holy Spirit being with us. Then it speaks about the Holy Spirit being in us. That is the work of regeneration and salvation. But you also read this other word that is very interesting, which is, I think, significant for believers in Jesus Christ. It is this word, upon now, there is a vast difference between the Holy Spirit dwelling within you and the Holy Spirit resting upon you. And I think what is desperately needed today in churches and in Bible-believing people today is the Holy Spirit resting upon them in power for service. Barnabas was a man who knew the continued filling of the Holy Spirit. R.A. Torrey, the early fundamentalist of the 1900s, helps distinguish the difference here for us. He said this, In regeneration, there is the impartation of life by the Spirit's power, and the one who receives it is saved. In the baptism with the Holy Spirit, there is an impartation of power. The one who receives it is fitted for service. And my friend, I think that this is a reality that is desperately missing in the church today, the idea of being empowered for service. And unfortunately, so many of us in the Reformed circles 
have been so terrified of the Holy Spirit that any mention of the need of the power of the Holy Ghost resting upon us, my friend, you cannot read the book of Acts, but notice the distinct difference that those men had then and what we have today. He said, well, show it to me. Barnabas, he was one who obviously knew something of the impartation of power because we see him clearly fitted for service. And Acts 4, 31, 32, and 36 he is likely part of that multitude in that prayer meeting that was filled with the Holy Ghost and the building shook and they went out and preached the word with great power. And it was from this filling of the Holy Spirit that he sold all his goods and gave them unto the apostles to distribute to those in need. And Acts 9, 26 and 27, as a man full of the Holy Ghost, he discerns the sincerity of Saul and the reality of his conversion. You know, you might say, well, that's kind of strange. As a believer, can you really discern if someone's truly converted? Barnabas did. And if the same Holy Spirit filled Barnabas, the same Holy Spirit fills you. And one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is discernment. And obviously he had that gift. In Acts 11, 23 and 24, he was a man full of the Holy Ghost, and he exhorts many to cling unto the Lord, and much people were added to the Lord. Now I want you to look with me at one instance in particular that has always fascinated me. And Barnabas is here in Acts 14 and verse number 1. Here Barnabas is. He is a man that is full of the Holy Ghost, under the influence and direction of the Spirit of the living God. In Acts 14 and verse number 1, it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together, that is Paul and Barnabas, into the synagogue of the Jews, and notice this, and so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also the Greeks, believed. I've often wondered, how did they speak? They spake in such a way that multitudes were converted to Christ. Now, I do not think that this was just the gift of oratory. Although we do see that Barnabas was likely a very gifted preacher. Oh no, this was more than oratory. These were men filled with the Holy Spirit that had such the touch of God upon their lives that as they preached the gospel, that people's hearts were open. They were gifted preachers of Christ. They so spake that great multitudes believed. And I've often come to the Lord in prayer and said, Lord, help me to so speak in such a way that multitudes are swept into the kingdom. And should that not be the desire of our own heart? Oh God, help me to speak in such a way that multitudes are converted to Christ. God, fill me with, my, with your Holy Spirit that I speak the words that you want me to speak that I say the things you want me to say, that I go where you would have me to go, to be a man or a woman led by the Spirit of the living God. It has been rightly said, and you have probably heard it no doubt many times, about the life of D.L. Moody, the great evangelist. And whenever he was at an evangelistic meeting, and the preacher was preaching, and the evangelist said, it is yet to be seen what God will do with a man that is totally committed to him. And D.L. Moody said, I resolve in my heart to be that man that is totally committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, and that proposal is still on the table today. It is yet to be seen what God can do with a man or a woman that is totally committed to him. Leonard Ravenhill, the great revivalist, said that one day someone's going to open up this Bible and they're going to really believe what it says. And God will greatly use them in a way that no one else has ever been used. God's looking for a willing vessel. He's looking for someone like Isaiah that says, Lord, here am I. Send me. Lord, would you use me? God, would you fill me? God, would you anoint me and enable me? And Barnabas was a man like that. He was a man full of the Spirit of God. He was a man that was willing to be broken and mended and directed by the Lord. He was a man full of the Holy Spirit. How do we know that? Acts 15, 26, the apostles said that he was a man that hazarded his life for the Lord Jesus. A man with the, full of the Holy Spirit doesn't fear man. He doesn't fear the world. He only fears God. 
And he has one desire, that is to preach Christ and Him crucified, to go wherever God leads him, to go even the hardest direction. He's willing to follow God no matter what. And that was Barnabas. A man full of the Holy Spirit, willing to hazard his life. Literally the word hazard there means to give up his life for the Lord Jesus. You say, well, God's not called me to be a preacher. It doesn't matter. He's called you to give up your life for the Lord Jesus. The proverb writer said, my son, give me thine heart. And let thine eyes observe my ways. What does God want from you? He doesn't want your mind. He wants your heart. He wants every part of you today. And this is what God had of Barnabas. He didn't just have Barnabas' mind, he had his will and he had his heart. This was a man full of the Spirit of the living God. The Spirit of God not only indwelt him, but the Spirit of God rested upon him. This might seem foreign to you, but there are people, no doubt, that you can think of if you've grown up in church, where you can discern that is, there's something different about that person. There's something different about that man. There's something different about that woman. Something different about that older man or that older woman. You know what it is? It's the fullness of the Holy Spirit. They're a person that is totally committed and yielded their life unto God. They have the Holy Spirit not only in them, but the Holy Spirit resting upon them, and they are fitted for service. Have you as a child of God experienced this impartation of power? D.L. Moody would take his students... In Northfield, Massachusetts, out in the middle of nowhere in Massachusetts, in his uh, little area that he had where his home was in a little Bible college, he would take his students up in the Berkshire Mountains. He would take them up the mountain slope. And he said, we're going to sit here and we're going to pray until the Holy Ghost comes down upon us. And we know that we have met with God. And we know that the Spirit of God is resting upon us. And we'll go out and preach the gospel. And see multitudes converted to Christ. And guess what? That's exactly what they did. They experienced the fullness of the Holy Spirit. This is not something mystical. This is the Bible. This is what we so desperately need today. This is what the early church had. And what they had we so desperately need today. We don't need cold sermons. We need sermons with the fire of God behind them. Men that have met with God, that know God, that have the Spirit of God resting upon them. And this is what preachers need today. The impartation of power, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, a definite work in their life that they knew this happened to them. You say, Pastor, that I don't know what you're talking about. Well, I encourage you to do what Jesus said. Jesus said, tarry ye in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Until you be clothed with power from on high. They could not go out and preach the gospel. He told them to go out and preach the gospel. But he said, you do not do that until you've been endued with the power of the Holy Spirit. And my friend, we need the very same today. If you've not been endued with that power, then it is very fruitless for us to go out and share the gospel if we're not empowered by the Spirit. We need the power of the Spirit of God upon us to preach Christ and all this fullness. We need this so desperately. Have you tarried and waited for that power? As a minister of the sacred gospel, you and I need this power. I need this power. Do you have it? If not, shut yourself up to God. Until you know the sound of the rushing wind flowing into your soul. And you know that something has been changed in your life. The plague of our churches today is powerless and passionless preaching. Barnabas was a man of power and passion. An institution will not ultimately fit you for service. I'm in an institution right now. I thank God for the seminary that I'm in. But this is not going to fit me for service. It's going to help me, oh yes, and I desperately need it. But what's going to fit me for service is the Holy Ghost. You see, we can have all the learning that we want, but if we have not the Spirit of God, it is all in vain. It is the Spirit of God, it is not the seminary that makes the man of God. It is the Holy Spirit that makes a man of God. And that's what's so desperately needed. In churches all across our land, we have men, and God forbid, even women. They're standing behind pulpits with their earned PhDs that know more than I will ever forget. 
They are very educated people, but they are missing one thing, and that is the power of the Spirit of God. This is what's vital today in the church. Not only was a man full of the Holy Ghost, but last of all, notice with me, he was an exhorter, he was a good man, he was full of the Holy Spirit, and he was a man full of faith. Oh, how desperately we need this today. And church, I want to encourage you today to be a church that is full of faith. Why? Because it is so easy to doubt. You might say, Pastor, look around. There are many empty seats in this building. What are we going to do? Increase your faith. Be like Barnabas here, a man full of faith. And you can be that man or woman full of faith. If you are a man or woman full of the Holy Ghost, if you're full of the Holy Ghost, you will naturally be full of faith. You can't be filled with the Holy Spirit, have the Spirit of God resting upon you, be doubting the promises of God. Oh, no, you cannot. As a man full of the Holy Spirit, it was only natural that he be a man full of faith. He was likely a possessor of what the Bible says, the gift of faith in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse number 9. One of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is a gift of faith. You know, there are some people, and I don't know if you've ever been in different churches like this, there's some people where they stand up in a business meeting. Of course, I was always raised in a Baptist church, so it's a little bit different than Presbyterianism. But I remember standing in business meetings when all the congregation would be there and someone would stand up. And they would say to the moderator, I believe that God wants us to do this. It was a gigantic step of faith, and everyone in the church just couldn't believe it. Oh, we can't do that. That person, you know what I believe, possessed the gift of faith. And they believe God for great and mighty things. And so desperately we need these people in the churches today, men and women that have the gift of faith. I'd like to know a little bit more about that. They just believe God despite all odds. That believe that God will keep His promises despite the problems and the trials around us. Here was a man that believed God and stood upon the promises of God. As Abraham, here was a man that staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able to perform. Do you believe that as a church today? Do you believe that Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it? Do you believe that God, if through Christ, will build this church? He said he would. That's a promise. That is a promise. Are you going to be like the one that staggers at the promises of God through unbelief? No, let's not be that one. Let's be the one that's strong in faith, that's persuaded that what God said he would do, he would do. God said he'd build his church, he'll build his church. How he will do it, I don't know, but he will. And I'm going to pray like he will because he said he would. We're going to lay hold on the promises of God. He was a man that believed God would save sinners, and the church built, that was Barnabas, and that's the type of attitude that you and I need to have. How sad it is today that so many are full of doubt rather than faith. So many churches doubt the promises and doubt the promise keeper. So many small churches are full of doubt and discouragement. Why? Because they're not full of faith. Many of these churches are also led by men who are full of doubt rather than faith. If the man in the pulpit doesn't believe God, then why should the man in the pew or the woman in the pew believe God? We need to be people that are full of faith. Without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. We see faith in Barnabas again and again and again as he goes with Paul into various towns and he preaches empowered by the Spirit and many are converted. So often I've wondered, Lord, when are you going to do it again? Lord, when are you going to fill me or fill someone else with a Holy Spirit that believes your promises, that enters into a town and preaches Christ and multitudes are converted? That's what happened in the book of Acts. The same Holy Spirit then is here today. The same Holy Spirit that brought multitudes to Christ then is the same Holy Spirit that's with us today. I think the difference today is the faith that they had. They believed the promises of God. They were fully persuaded of them. We need to ask God that we be fully persuaded of His promises. Oh, that we would know something of this today. That we would know something of this today. 
I knew a gentleman. I went into Canada one time to hear him preach. He was part of the brethren. And this man went to a little town in northern Maine. He set up a tent. And he set up that tent. He preached five days, every day of the week, every night, for three months straight. And there was one gentleman that came every night to that meeting. He was an older French man. Every night he was raised Roman Catholic. He came three months. Every single night heard the gospel. And the last night that man gave his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, there is great blessing in going into areas and preaching Christ. There was just one example. Not many people were saved, but one was saved through the commitment of someone following the leading of the Holy Spirit, going and setting up a tent and preaching the gospel, believing that God would save sinners. Do you believe that God could do that here? Couldn't God do that here? If just one soul was to be saved, it would be worth it all, wasn't it? If just one soul was to come to Jesus Christ through the testimony of this church, it would be worth it all. This faith, no doubt, brought a degree of expectation and as we preach and as we come to church, we should expect the Word of God to transform hearts and lives. But unfortunately today, many men stand behind the pulpit and they open up their Bible and they preach with no expectation whatsoever. And when we stand behind the pulpit and we preach the Word of God, we are to preach with expectation, believing that we have a message from God and that God will do what He said in His Word and He will work it into the people's hearts. Barnabas preached and there was expectation of God fulfilling His promises. Unfortunately today many times we preach the Word without expectation. Many times we doubt if anyone will really take the message to heart. And many times we are so amazed when someone walks through the doors of the church and we say, wow, God brought a visitor. We should be praying with expectation. God, you will bring visitors there this Sunday. Praying by faith you'll bring people to this church that do not know Christ, that will be converted. Is it any wonder today that we live without expectation? If we are not persuaded of the promises, then is this a thing incredible that those in the pew are not? Barnabas was a man of exhortation. He encouraged the people of God. He was a good man. He was full of the Holy Ghost, and he was full of faith. Barnabas is certainly a Bible character not to be overlooked for you and I today. Barnabas is a wonderful example to us of a Holy Ghost-filled and faith-filled encourager of the people of God. The characteristics of a man of God mark Barnabas's life. He too could borrow the words of the Apostle Paul, Be ye followers or imitators of me even as I am of Christ. So will you as Barnabas strive today to be an encourager of the people of God? You'll never know what a word of encouragement will do to someone. To speak a word in season, the book of Proverbs speaks about that, doesn't it? About how words spoken in season, how precious, how rich it is. Will you be as Barnabas, an upright and honorable believer operating in the fruits of the Spirit? Will you as Barnabas be one who knows the impartation of the Spirit's power, one full of the Holy Ghost? And will you as Barnabas be one full of faith, standing unwavering upon the promises of God? Or will you be like those that are full of doubt? They're always wondering, will God Will you be like those in Israel's day that said, Can God furnish for us a table in the wilderness? Or you'll turn those words around and say, God can furnish for us a table in the wilderness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God today. We thank you for the truths of Holy Scripture. God, how we pray that you stamp these truths upon our heart and upon our mind. God, we admit unto you that, God, we are not what we ought to be. But we thank you, God, that we're not what we once used to be. That we have been transformed by thy marvelous grace. And, oh, God, how desperately, God, as I studied the life of this man, reading the book of Acts, how desperately we need the reality of the fullness of the Spirit of God in the lives of your people today. 
God, there is something in going on in the book of Acts that we're not experiencing today. Oh God, the preaching of Christ under the power of the Holy Spirit, whole communities being transformed. How we pray, oh God, that thou wouldst be pleased to visit our nation and do such a work today. God, you did it then. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are the Lord that does not change. You are the great immutable God, the same God of all power yesterday as you are today. And we pray, O oh God, that thou wouldst visit this land and visit this community and send a revival and an awakening. And that, God, that you would equip this church with great faith to believe thee for great and mighty things. God, it is so easy to become discouraged in thy work. God, we pray that you'd increase our faith. God, we have no reason to be discouraged. You said in your word that we are not to be weary in well-doing, knowing in due season we shall reap if we faint not. God, you've given us a promise in thy word that as we labor for thee, the harvest will come. So God, as we labor and as we plow, May you remind us of the words of the Lord Jesus, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. May we continue plowing forward, break up the fallow ground and seek the Lord, the God that you would do this work within our hearts and our lives. God, I pray that we walk away from this place saying it is good for us that we have been here. And that God, that we have been stirred in our hearts and in our minds to leave this place saying, I need to do more for Christ. Lord, there's so much work that needs to be done. God, would someone leave this place saying, Lord, is it I? Lord, how would you use me? The God that they would ask the very same question that Paul asked, Lord, what wouldst thou have me to do? The God that they would ask that question to thee, and the God that you would answer them in time, let them know what the work is that you would have them to do. So God, as we depart this place, allow the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart to be acceptable in thy sight, O God, our strength and Redeemer. And may thy sweet divine presence be with us until we meet again, for we ask it all in that lovely name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And amen. We are dismissed.